Jesus, surely it is all about you, God, and that's why we are here tonight. That's why we make the effort, God, to come and on a Wednesday night, to connect on a Wednesday night, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you, and also to say we need you, God. We need your help, and just even just being able to worship, God, it, it, it renews us, it touches us, it, it blesses us, and we find strength in it. And now in your word, we ask, God, that you would... Continue to nourish us, Lord, as we study your word and feast upon what you have for us. And so, God, fill this time, Lord, in your word with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, and that no matter what we're covering, that you would have a word for us as we are here listening, needing you, wanting you, and ready to hear from you. So, God, here we are. We pray for your blessings and anointing of your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back in uh, 2017, uh, a Rabbi Berger predicted that the Messiah will return in 2022. How do you like that? So the Messiah is going to return next year. They were saying when, uh, he was saying when astronomers foresee two large distant stars colliding and creating a light visible from Earth, and that light, the rabbi claims, aligns with the return of, of Christ or, or the Messiah. So interesting here. Well, back in 2018, some were talking about a prediction from a Dr. F. Kenton Beshore. He was a former president of the World Bible Society, and he actually passed away and went to heaven in 2016. But he was saying before that, and people are thinking about that back in 2018, that the end of the world is set to begin in 2021, this year now. This was back in 2018. So the end of the world was set to begin 2021, and I don't think it's here right now. Uh, but he also said that it will cum culminate with the return of Jesus in 2028. So basically, the tribulation will begin in 2021, and then a new kingdom or the millennium starts with the return of Jesus in 2028. I don't know. I don't see the tribulation starting right now, so I'm not sure about that prediction. Well, throughout the years, throughout the centuries, there's been a lot of predictions on the return of Christ, a lot of predictions on when he will bring his kingdom onto the earth. I like what a hair salon did years back. I think this was in the UK. Uh, years back to get a, get the attention on their business. And they put out a flyer with a picture of Jesus Christ, like bathed in this glory light. And on this flyer, there's a caption saying, He is coming. Better get your hair done. <laughs> well, we know that nobody knows the exact time and hour that Jesus will return. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So no matter what we may hear in predictions on the actual year or day of Christ's return or the end of the world, we don't know for sure. No one knows. No one knows. But as we've been studying in the book of Revelation on Sunday, there are signs. 
Though no one knows when in the future Jesus will return and bring in that new kingdom, in our study tonight, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus helps us and the Pharisees and the disciples and those who are listening in here to prepare for that day. Our title of our message is When the Kingdom Really Comes. When the Kingdom Really Comes. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 17 from verse 20 to the end of the chapter, verse 37. And tonight, our outline is this. Number one, don't be uninformed, don't be unaware, and don't be unprepared. So those are the, that's the idea. This is our outline. This is what Jesus is going to be covering as we think about when the kingdom really comes. So let's begin with number one in our outline. Don't be uninformed. Don't be uninformed. Now, we're going to cover verses 20 to verse 25 in this section. 20 through 25, and that's in our number one in our outline. But first of all, let's read Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. It says here in verse 20, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Verse 21, Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And we'll stop right there. Now, we begin here in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, where uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus asking him a question. And they were asking him, when will the kingdom of God come? Now we understand in Old Testament prophecies, they say that the Messiah will come and the Messiah will bring in the kingdom of God. So that's the thought here with these Pharisees. And that's the time when God will uh, defeat evil and set up his rule and reign over the world in righteousness and truth. Uh, this is just so coinciding with our studies in Revelation, right? Now, many at this time, of where, when Jesus on, was on the earth, many believed Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah who has come to set up this kingdom. But remember, the Pharisees aren't, they don't totally, you know, they're not totally into Jesus. They don't totally believe him at this point. They're really looking for ways to get to him, see him mess up and all. So, so the question for these Pharisees that bring this up, I mean, it's not like they're like, oh, when is the kingdom? No, the question was more like, Let's see what he says about this and see if he really gets it right. Let, let's see if he makes some maybe false claim and we could trap him in that. So I, I really feel the Pharisees weren't, you know, re really genuine in, in this question. Like, oh, Jesus, you know, when, 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 when is the kingdom going to come? Jesus, you're the Messiah. When are you going to set it up? You know, we're waiting here and all that. I, the prophecies tell us that. But no, the Pharisees kind of coming in probably most likely trying to trap him. But, of course, Jesus knows that. So Jesus wisely answers, and he, he says here in verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. In other words, you're not gonna you're not gonna see the kingdom come in this huge event like 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 what many are looking for, like what many are hoping for. 
Because we understand, right, I mentioned this before, the Pharisees and, and many of the Jews there, and even the disciples even at this time, they were looking for the Messiah to come, and the disciples were thinking this was Jesus. Many of the people were, 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 were thinking that. And they were hoping that, oh, here's Jesus. Well, he's going to come. He's going to overthrow Rome, right? And as he takes over Rome and takes care of all the oppression that we're feeling from Rome and all the evil, then he's going to set up his kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and he's come to rule and reign. Well, Jesus is saying, ah, uh, you know, it's not going to come in some huge event that you're going to observe. It's not, it's not like what you're looking for. Uh, that, that's not really what's going to happen right away. And then he says in verse 21, nor it's not like someone's going to say, look, here it is. Look, look, or, or it's happening over there. It's not like you're going to see it happen in some geographical location. Like Jesus is going to go to Rome and, you know, take over Caesar and all the armies and all that. No, it's not going to be like that. But he says something here interesting in verse 21. For behold, remember when he uses the word behold, it's like, hey, listen up, pay attention to this. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, right away we could think, oh yeah, Jesus is standing right there. Yeah, The kingdom of God is here. But the word midst in the original language, it really means like inside of you, inside of your heart. See, what the Pharisees missed was that the first coming of the Messiah was to really bring the gospel. It's the second coming, that's when Jesus will come to rule and reign on the earth. So Jesus, the Messiah, did bring the kingdom of God. This is what he's saying here. But not in the way that people expected, in a different way. So here's the first thing to understand. The kingdom of God is actually already here. That's what Jesus is saying. For those who have the Messiah ruling their heart. People are looking for the Messiah to rule the earth. But Jesus, Jesus is saying, no, no, wait, wait. The kingdom of God is here. But for those who, who, allow, who are letting me rule their hearts. Remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when he came in the flesh, in this first time, to the earth, he was saying the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. But what did he mean? Not in a physical so much sense of takeover, but that Jesus has come to bring the gospel so he could rule people's hearts. The Pharisees Right, They're looking for a physical kingdom, but Jesus first came with a spiritual kingdom. And really, that's where it starts. It starts in the heart. right? It starts right here. The Pharisees, sadly, will not be part of the physical kingdom unless they let Jesus rule their heart first. And that's something for us to stop and think about. You know, we just sang the heart of worship. What, what is that heart? It's, it's just a... Make it about Jesus, you know. And and the, the original writer, uh, Matt Redmond, I remember him talking about it years ago when he first wrote it. He he was when he wrote it and he was sharing why he wrote it. It was like he, it, it, worship just got to be too much of this big show with the band and everything. And and I remember him talking about it. he just came out in the church with just his guitar, and he sang this song and got back to what it was really about. 
Jesus, about focusing on Jesus. Well, that's like what Jesus is saying. You guys are thinking about, oh, the Messiah is going to come, take over the Romans and bring in the kingdom. But, but you know where it starts? It starts right here in the heart. And the kingdom of God, hey, you know what? It's, it's actually already here. And it's for those who will allow the Messiah to rule their hearts. So is that you, though? Or do we look for like, are we like, well, the kingdom of God is that church or the kingdom of God is, 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 oh, and I read the Bible and pray, but maybe you just do it as a ritual. But is it really in your heart? Let's not be like those who are looking that way or even like the Pharisees who did that. Don't be uninformed. All right, verse 22 says, And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the uh, to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look, look here, there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So we'll stop there. So Jesus, he he turns to the disciples and 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 he clarifies to them about the days when he will come. In this second coming. Now the Pharisees, they are like kind of trying to trap him. But Jesus was like, look, the kingdom starts in the heart. But let me clarify something here. When that day comes, when the Messiah comes, when when I do come, when those days come, you know, uh, uh, let me clarify some stuff here. You're going to long for those days. He's saying, you're going to want to see me return and set up that kingdom on earth. But... Don't listen to those who say, Oh, look, he's over there. He's come over there. He landed over there, you know. Or look, he, he landed over there by Jerusalem and, and Jesus is, is there. Jesus is like, No, that's not what's going to happen when I return. But as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky, that's how it's going to be for that day when the Son of Man, the Messiah, returns to set up his kingdom. Remember the term Son of Man is from Daniel seven and it talks about the messiah really how the messiah will come in the flesh as a man so son of man he's god in the flesh so uh so a lot of times jesus uses that term but what he's saying when i return it's not going to be like oh i'm over there or oh oh oh, let's go over there jesus came no he's saying it's going to be like this huge thing it's going to be spectacular it's going to be beyond spectacular so the second thing to understand is when the physical kingdom of God comes, it will come with great power and glory. So Jesus is saying when he returns and that physical kingdom is going to be established, you know what? It's going to be in power and glory and, and, and you know, everyone's going to know it. The whole world's going to know it. He's coming, you know, totally, not just in one area, but so everyone will know that he has come. Luke 21, verse 27 says, And they, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now we understand, don't we? Jesus' first coming, he was born in a humble stable in Bethlehem. But Jesus' second coming, oh, it's not going to be like that. It's not like he appeared in some town. No, he's going to come in great glory on a cloud and the whole world will know it and see it. 
You know, I was thinking uh, about a prediction years back, another prediction. Uh, uh, someone said that the world would end by June 30th, 2012. Uh, of course, that came out before that date, and it was in the news. Well, this prediction came from a man in uh, Miami, Florida, and his name was Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. And he claimed, way back in 1973 actually, he claimed that Jesus had entered him and now he is Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he claims he has these superpowers, he can fly, he can walk through walls. All, this was a guy and he had followers all over the world. Yeah? So it's like, oh, Jesus is in Miami, Florida. He's back. But Jesus is saying right now, that's not the way it's going to happen. Right? When he returns to bring the kingdom of God, it's going to be this huge, spectacular thing. It's going to be different from before, but it's going to be this thing where the whole world will know. So if you hear someone, or if you hear about someone say, oh, you know, he, the Messiah is here, he appeared in this city, or he's in this country, don't believe him. That's not the way Jesus will return. Jesus said here, he's not returning like that. So don't be uninformed about that and fooled into uh, thinking that or believing that. Verse 25, our last verse in this section, Jesus said, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus clarifies. Now, in his second coming, it's going to be a huge thing. And he's going to come, take over the earth, and rule and reign, the millennium. But his first coming, right, his first coming is different. His first coming, which is what we're reading right now, where he's at right now, he first must suffer. The Messiah will first come and suffer many things. And we know a story. He's going to be betrayed, treated unjustly, right, scourged, beaten, nailed to a cross and die as a criminal. Why? Because he was rejected by what? This generation. The generation of Jews and the Jewish leaders that see Jesus in what we're reading about tonight, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and had him killed. So Jesus is saying, but first, you know, before the kingdom comes and before I establish that kingdom, first I got to suffer many things. So the third thing to understand is the Messiah first humbly comes to die for our sins and and then he'll return in power and glory. So that's first. And later he'll return in power and glory. That's important, right? Before we can get to the life with God or get to the kingdom of God, we got to be forgiven, right? we got to be made right. And so that's God's plan here. Before he could just come and take over the earth and make a, a righteous kingdom, people can't live righteous lives without him. And they need forgiveness. They need sin dealt with. So it makes sense to me that, that these guys are wrong. The Messiah's not just going to come, take over, and everything's going to be great. No, there's still a problem. Our problem isn't the Roman government, the evil in the world, the Greek mythology, gods and all that, and, and, and all the, the darkness in, in, in that society at that time. That, yeah, that's a problem, but the root of the problem is what? 
inside of us, right? It's that sin inside of us. It's our flesh. And that needs to be dealt with. So God knew. So the first coming, so Jesus can take care of that. And so the kingdom of God can come to our hearts. And then the kingdom of God can come physically on the earth. And people can live in a kingdom that's totally righteous and true and holy. So the Messiah first humbly comes to die for our sins and will return, then return in power and glory. You know, some say the American flag is a witness of what Jesus did in his sacrifice for our salvation. I thought this was interesting. They say the flag, right, is described as in the order of colors, red, white, and blue. How many times have you heard that? Red, white, and blue. Not white, red, and blue, or blue, white, and red. But red, white, and blue. Well, some say this. Well, the red represents the sacrifice of Jesus' blood on the cross. And then the white represents how we're forgiven and made pure through that through his blood. And the blue represents heaven and how now we belong to the kingdom of God. I thought, hey, that's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> it's a, a witnessing tool. Yeah, hey, look at the flag. You know, no, it says red, white, and blue. And you know why we say red, white, and blue? You know what? Someone said this. Think about this. Yeah, it's right there. But you notice it has to come through the cross, through the blood of Christ that we're cleansed and made pure, then we can go to heaven or we can live in that kingdom. So the Messiah first humbly comes to die for our sins and then returns in power and glory to bring that kingdom. So really the question is, do you really have Jesus tonight? I mean, have you really given your life to Jesus and led him into your life? I mean, that's the only way you'll make it into the kingdom of God. And so we have to be clear on that and to really understand that, especially when the kingdom really comes. All right, let's go to number two. Don't be unaware. Don't be unaware. We first saw don't be uninformed, and now don't be unaware, Jesus tells us. So this covers verse 26 through verse 33. 26 through 33. We read here in verse 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So stop right there. Now Jesus goes on to talk about what the world will be like when he does actually return to set the kingdom uh, of God, up, to set it up on the earth. And uh, during that, around that whole time, the world's going to be rejecting God and continuing to reject God on, uh, at the time of Jesus' return. And he gives us two examples. He says, well, the world's going to be just like this in the days of Noah. And that story is back in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. So it'll be those days like that. Uh, around the return of the Son of Man, Jesus, once again, the world will be like eating, 
like going about, you know, eating their meals, dining, drinking, uh, marrying. They're, they're just basically going on with their daily life. And it was just like Noah all the way until the day Noah and his family entered the ark. And then what? The flood came, Jesus said, and destroyed the whole world. Well, that's what it's going to be like around the time when Jesus returns to bring the kingdom. The world before the flood, they were unaware of the judgment that was coming in the flood. And that's what's going to happen to this world. They're going to be totally unaware when Jesus returns. And they're unaware that Jesus will come to bring judgment. Then in verse 28 and verse 29, he says, well, here's a second example. Like it was in the days of Lot, that's Genesis chapter 18 through 19, how the people in the city of Sodom where Lot lived, well, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building, yeah? They were probably doing remodels, you know, during their COVID time, no. But, right, I mean, they, they were basically business as usual. Life just went on, just like any other day. Until the day Lot ran out of Sodom, and then God brought that judgment of fire and sulfur and destroyed the whole city. So the city was unaware that judgment was about to fall, that the end was about to happen right then and there. So this is what it'll be like, Jesus is saying. Uh, this is what he reveals when Jesus appears in glory. Everyone's going to think, well, things are just going to go on like it is. It's all right, you know. But it's not. There is an end, and it's going to end in judgment. So the first thing to understand is when Jesus returns to bring in the kingdom on earth, the world will be caught unaware. That's what Jesus is saying. They're, they're, they're unaware in the sense that the end is coming. The end is going to happen. Um, sometimes I think that, oh, will there be an end to this pandemic? You know, will there be an end to having to wear the masks and, and stuff? I think uh, the Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, there was an article out. He was saying, well, I predict early in 2022 we won't have to wear it anymore. Well, because the numbers and everything is going down. There's 71 point. I forgot, 6% or something in Hawaii that's va vaccinated, and so the numbers are going down. Anyway, um, I, I was thinking, oh, I don't know. I might just go on, and I'll, I hope not, right? But people think that life and things, you know, this world's gone through a lot of calamity, you know, throughout the centuries, and but time keeps going. The world keeps going on. We make it through, and, and hopefully it will be the end of this pandemic this kind of restrictions and everything, you know, next year. I, I hope so. But Jesus is saying, you know what, when he returns to bring in a kingdom on the earth, the world's going to think, oh, things going to keep going on, but it's not. They're going to be caught unaware. You know, it's interesting, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, which tells us that while he built the ark, he preached. He preached and warned the world what was coming, but sadly, no one listened. I mean, think about that. I don't, I don't know the population. I forget what it was at that time exactly or what the guesses are. But say out of millions of people on the earth at that time, only eight were saved. No one and his family, right? How sad. 
So the world ignored the message from God and just went on with their lives. And they were caught unaware. So listen, around the time when Jesus returned, it's predicted that the world would be like that, like like Sodom was in the time of Lot, like, like the world was in the time of Noah. And you know what I'm thinking? Isn't that what we see today? Yeah. People just going on, we, 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 we get through this time, pandemic, we, we trudge through it, but it's just going on, it's going on, and not thinking that one day all of this is going to end. Sadly, those people in the world will be taken unaware. How about you? That's what we have to realize tonight, that we get in our minds that, that there is an end coming, that there is going to be the end of the world. Jesus will return. And we have to keep that in mind. And perhaps God is calling us to be preachers of righteousness like Noah was. All right, verse 30 and 33 now, Jesus goes on and says, So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, uh, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So, during that day or during that time period surrounding Christ's return, he's saying, you know, if you're on the housetop, and back then they had like flat roofs and they turned it into like this lanai and you can hang out there and there's a covering many times they would build. Well, 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 well he's saying when, he, when this time is coming, around that time, don't go into your house to grab your stuff, but just go, get out of there. Or, likewise, he's saying if you're working in the field, you know what, don't go back to your house to grab your things. Just get out of there. And you know what he's talking about? He spoke about this in Matthew 24 too. But there he clarifies it. It's the time of the abomination of desolation. And we've been learning that on Sundays, right? When the Antichrist stands in the rebuilt Jewish temple, declares himself as God and requires the whole world to worship him or else, basically, you will be killed. And so he's saying, hey, and when that happens, just go, run, flee, you know, run to safety, get out of there. Don't try and stop and get your things. If you're in the field on top of your, your house, just run away. So really, now, now he's focusing on this. He's really saying, don't worry about your stuff. Yeah. Don't worry. In this time when Jesus is going to, around that time period, return with the kingdom, don't be so focused on yourself, stuff and worried about your stuff. Don't let that be like the main concern there. So that's why he says, don't be like Lot's wife. Genesis 19:26. Remember, she infamously, when they are fleeing the city and, and the, 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 the fire and sulfur was falling upon the city and the city was getting destroyed. We know what happened, right? The uh, Lot and his family, his two daughters and a wife, they're running. And Lot's wife infamously turned around to look toward the city and she turned into a pillar of salt and lost her life. Basically, she 
longingly looked toward Sodom. She longingly looked toward her stuff back there. So that's why Jesus says here in verse 32, Remember Lot's wife. Remember she turned back longingly to look at her life that was back there that she's leaving. She's distraught. Yeah, All her things that were there, her stuff, I don't know if it's her clothes or jewelry or fancy furniture or whatever they had, but, but because that was more of a concern to her, she ended up dying in judgment along with that whole city. So Lot's wife, the wife had more interest in her material goods than what God was doing, listen, in trying to save her life. Think about that, yeah? She cared more about her stuff than, than what God was doing for her in trying to save her life. And think about how people reject Jesus and God's just trying to save their life from this judgment to come. She was so connected and, and, and with her stuff, yeah, that that cost her really her life in judgment. So that's why in verse 33, Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep, keep it. In other words, you seek to, to preserve the things in your life or, or your, your lifestyle, your things. You know what? You're, you're going to end up losing it. If, 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 but if you, um, whoever loses life, like lets that go, you'll end up keeping or saving your life in eternity. And you'll be in that kingdom when Jesus returns. So remember Lot's life. Her heart was given to the things of the world and she lost her life. But it's way better to give up your heart to what really matters and that's Jesus. And then you will be saved. So here's a second thing to understand here. When Jesus returns, don't be caught with your heart in the wrong place. That, that's really basically what, what he's saying. Don't be caught with your heart in a wrong place, like not toward Jesus. Trying to uh, save your things and this is your everything here, you know, on this earth. This is my life. This is no, our life is in Jesus. Hey, remember those um, bumper stingers, bumper stingers, bumper stickers? Um, I don't think I see them around anymore, but I remember years ago I saw some bumper stickers that said, "He who dies with the most toys wins." Now, is that true? No, actually, you lose, right? If, 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 if you try and keep your life, right? What's Jesus saying? You're, you're going to end up losing your life, right? So that's not true. The reality is the things in this world, they're not going to last. They're not going to go into eternity. Only the eternal things are going to last. Only those things of the kingdom of God, the things of Jesus. That's what's going to last once we die. So that's what's important here. Now, I remember having some conversations with some people, and, you know, we're excited for Jesus' return, uh, really to take us home, you know, as believers. And, and But sometimes, can't, don't we feel like, and maybe we feel like, oh, I, 
I, I really want to finish college first, you know, or something like that. Or, or I, I really want to get to this level in my career. Or even some people are like, oh, I, I really want to have kids or watch my children grow up, you know, before Jesus uh, returns. Or, yeah, I'd like to take my vacation before he returns. I hope he doesn't come too soon, you know. Uh, but, you know, what Jesus is saying, I, and, and we're real. I mean, sometimes we can have those feelings and stuff, but... You know, what Jesus is saying is, you know, if you're really looking for the kingdom of God and Jesus is important in your life, then knowing the kingdom is coming and expecting that kingdom to come, that's what's going to fill you with joy. You know, when that time comes, it's going to fill you with joy. Like, oh yeah, let's go. I want to be with Jesus. I want to get out of this place, right? You're not when when that time comes and you see the signs coming and 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 you know uh, Jesus is about to return. It's not like you're going to look back. Oh, I wish this. You know, that's an indication of something, right? So I understand there's there's some things in life we look forward to. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I, we, oh, we feel so blessed with grandkids now. <laughs> and that's great. We we love it. There's this like, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, amazing. You know, Riley, Manu, oh, this is great. You know, yeah, you know, it's, it's nice. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You haven't returned. We got to enjoy this right now. But that doesn't come between me and the Lord. Right? And so we don't want anything to become like more in our heart than Jesus is. Jesus should be our greatest love in our heart. So check your heart right now. Yeah? Check your heart. Again, yeah, you know, yeah, we like to see some things and all, but but ultimately, when we talk like tonight, or when we're in the book of Revelation, I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh Lord, come quickly. You know? Come quickly. I want to be with you. I want to be home. Yeah, you know I love to worship and feel His presence. It's like, oh, I can't wait till I'm really there. Yeah, and you feel His presence 24/7 in eternity. But check your heart and don't be unaware of what might be pulling you away from that joy and expectation of the coming kingdom of Christ. So. When the kingdom really comes, will we be found? Yeah, excited about it. So we see number one, don't be uninformed, don't be unaware, and lastly, number three, don't be unprepared. Don't be unprepared. Now, these are the last verses here in our chapter, and let's take a look at verse 34 and 35 here. It says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. You could stop right there. So at the time when Jesus returns around that area, uh, some will be unprepared. This is what Jesus is putting out here. He's saying in the night when people are sleeping basically, Two will be in bed, maybe they're married, you know, or something like that. And one's going to be taken, and one, the other, will be left. And then in another part of the world at that time, and, and I, this is a global thing, I, I believe, because one part of the world is in bed, the other part is working, right? Another part of the world, two women are grinding the grain, basically. 
And then suddenly one is taken and the other one, one is left. Now, in the ESV translation, that's what I teach out of, I don't know if, if you notice this, the verses go 34, 35, and then skip to 37. And it's kind of like, wait, typo, yeah, kind of thing. But in reality, uh, what they're doing is just, just making a note that in some translations, uh, older translations like the Old King James, there is a 36, verse 36, and it talks about two men in the field and one's taken, one's left. Well, um, in older manuscripts, that verse, that line is not in there. So that's why the ESV, which is based on the older manuscripts, which I've explained to you guys, uh, that that's why they skip verse 36, but they just skip to you know verse 37, kind of indicating that. Now it's not like they're changing uh, this changes doctrine or anything. Actually, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 40, when Jesus in the parallel passage, like the same thing in Matthew's writing, uh, it's there. So whoever was copying this later probably inserted it in there, uh, thinking, oh, wait, you know, Matthew had it. It probably should be in there. So most likely that's what happened. So it doesn't change anything. But that's why uh, in the ESV it skips from verse 35 through uh, 37. But basically you get what Jesus is saying, right? The idea is basically when Jesus returns, one is taken and the other is left all over the world. All right. Jesus talks now about this event happening. This is going to be around his return, around that period, right? So what is going on here? What is he talking about here? And we're talking about the kingdom coming, Jesus' return, around that whole period. Well, basically, I'm going to give you two interpretations on this. Two ways that, that commentators and pastors see these set of verses, both actually in Matthew 24 and here in Luke chapter 17. And so the first interpretation is here, is this. The one who is taken away, he's taken away into judgment. So that's the first interpretation. The one is taken away into judgment. And so the one who's left is actually the one who's going to stay and go into the millennium. Now, Jesus speaks about this, about how at the very end of the tribulation, when he returns, he's going to judge the world. And, and he's talk, he talked about that in Matthew. And we'll, when we get to the end of Revelation, we'll reference all of that too. Well, those Jews who believe in Jesus uh, by, by this time uh, in the tribulation, the idea is that they will be saved and they will be left behind on the earth to live in the new kingdom in that millennial reign of Christ. Remember, God protects the Jewish believers, right, in the tribulation from the Antichrist killing them. And then Jesus returns and sets his rule and reign. And so those guys are going to continue living on. And the ones who didn't believe in Jesus, they're the ones who are taken. In Matthew 13, Jesus spoke on how, his re on, uh, on how in his return he will separate the wheat and the tares. You remember that. Then the tares are taken and burned in the fire of judgment. And so that's the thought here. 
One interpretation is that one is taken away into judgment. The other one is left. So the saved one is left. So they say it's like Noah who was saved and the world was taken away by the flood. So that's one interpretation. The second interpretation is that the one who is taken away is taken away in the rapture. That's the other interpretation. That uh, the one who's taken away actually goes to heaven to live with Jesus and the one who's left is the one who will go through the judgment. So it's completely the opposite. Yeah, But that's the other interpretation. Jesus speaks about the time when he returns to take the church home before the tribulation starts. And, and I've talked to you guys about that. Uh, so before the judgment of God falls upon the earth, he takes the church out. So believers are taken away suddenly, unexpectedly, like in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, like a twinkling of an eye. I, right? So in this interpretation, you see one left, one taken. It's kind of like, oh, it just kind of happened like that, you know, suddenly, unexpectedly. In Matthew 24:44, in the parallel passage, uh, talking about how one is taken and another is left, Jesus says this in, in verse 44. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the interpretation that this the ones who are taking is, is those who have gone in the rapture believe that Jesus was talking about that and he's saying he's going to come when you don't expect. And that sounds like the rapture, right? Suddenly you'll be, you'll be taken like a thief in the night, right? The scripture said. So the, if this is at the end of the tribulation, you know, if, if it's about uh, the, the saved ones are, are on the earth and, and the the others are taken away into judgment, then um, if that's at the end of tribulation, you, you kind of know because Jesus will return and then judge the earth. Yeah? So it won't happen like suddenly. you know. And I think at that time, it would, doesn't seem like people are working or sleeping. Everyone's going to be wondering what, what's going on now you know, kind of thing. Because Jesus has already returned. He's start judging the earth. Besides, you know, we've been studying Revelation and we know the whole world knows something's coming and judgment is coming upon the earth. So, this interpretation also sees Noah's example. Noah's family, they were taken out of the judgment when they went into the ark and they were kept from the judgment of the flood. Or like Lot's family. Lot's family, right, the angel king took them out of Sodom before the judgment fell on the city. So that's the two interpretations. For me, uh, and you can study this on your own, I lean, and when I say I lean, I'm, I'm kind of more towards this way, you know. I mean, I can see both both sides, you know. and But I tend to lean toward that this is talking about the rapture. And it seems to flow like with what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I feel like the, the rapture happens, we're taken out, like Lot's taken out, or Noah was taken out, made safe in the ark, as out of the world, basically, when the world was flooded. I, I, because the wrath of God, the judgment of God was falling. So I, I tend to look at it as this is the rapture. So believers are taken out in a rapture before the judgment falls. Either way, 
What we see in this passage, the message is the same. You must not be unprepared. That's the same message, right? Either way, we cannot be unprepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Then our last verse. Our last verse. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. All right. So lastly, the disciples, and most likely it's the disciples, maybe others listening in, but most likely the disciples are like, Okay, Lord, where, Lord? I mean, where will this judgment take place? You know, is it going to be out on, on, on Rome, you know, there? Or is it going to be, you know, here in, 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 in Israel? Where, 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 where is it? So Jesus says, well, he gives this answer, where the corpse is. You'll know where because the judgment will fall heavily where the dead bodies will be. That's what it is. Where, that's where the vultures are going to be gathered. In other words, you'll know where when you see the vultures circling overhead. That, that's what he's saying, basically, where the dead bodies are. You'll know when you see the death of many in judgment. That's where. So when Jesus returns to bring in the kingdom, it means judgment and death for the world. That basically, it's just putting that out. Yeah. Um, other scriptures... Uh, and we will see, we talked about it the other Sunday about Armageddon, you know, and the, the mass uh, death of the armies there and how the blood stretched for 180 miles, uh, uh, maybe four feet deep. And so there's other scriptures that give clarity to what Jesus is saying. But basically, the last point is when Jesus returns to bring in the kingdom, it means judgment and death for the world. John Martin wrote in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, Much as a dead body causes vultures to gather on it, so dead people are consigned to judgment if they are not ready for the kingdom. I like that because it brings it all back in, Yeah, that we cannot be unprepared here. We cannot you know, just think this is going to keep going. we got to be ready for the kingdom of God to come. And I believe it's right around the corner. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you spiritually ready in Jesus? I mean, without him, we're under the wrath of God. But thank God that those of you who believe in Christ, we are safe. We are safe under his blood, forgiven and freed from our sin and made into children of God. And there's something about that, you know, we can have joy thinking that Jesus is re- going to return. We can have peace and not fret. But I think of those who don't have Jesus, and maybe if you're hearing this right now, do you have that peace that you're, you won't be under that judgment? Because when the judgment comes, death is going to come, and the judgment's going to fall hard. But in Jesus, you know what? We, we can be safe. And all of that. Jesus is coming soon. Now, just to give you a little order of events um, as we close up. First, the rapture is going to happen. First Thessalonians 4. And then an attack on Israel. Ezekiel 38-39 prophecy. There's going to be an attack. But God's going to save Israel. And the clock, Daniel's clock in, in Daniel chapter 9 
the 77s, that, that clock of God will start up for Israel at that time when God saves Israel. And it's going to be so miraculous. Many, many Israelis are, are going to turn to God and then that's going to lead them on the path to Jesus Christ. But I believe first the rapture and then the attack on Israel, God saves them. But right at that time when God saves them is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Daniel 9, the last 77 weeks or the seventh week in Daniel. And during that time, the Antichrist is going to rise up, Revelation 6. And at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years in, is that abomination of desolation, where he stands up in the temple, temple requires the world to worship him. But at the end of the seven years, that's when Jesus returns. And when he returns, then he sets his kingdom on earth, then the millennium comes, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So I just laid it out to you, but basically the rapture, um, the attack on Israel, God saves them, the beginning of the tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, Jesus returns, and then the millennium years, a thousand-year reign of Christ. What happens after that? Well, God, the scripture tells us, God tells us that God's going to take the old earth and on universe and crumple up and make a whole new heaven and earth. And then we'll go on into eternity from there. So that's the basic plan there. And the world is changing right now. And I think being set up for the tribulation. And when I say, well, the prophecies in the, you know, are being fulfilled about the Middle East, I'm talking about Ezekiel 38-39, the attack on Israel. And so the world is changing. Things are being set up right now for Jesus' return for that last seven years on the earth and Jesus' return, but before that, the rapture, which can happen any time. Things are being set up. This year, I'll close with this, there's been much talk from Turkey, Russia, and Iran coming together against Israel. And that's what Ezekiel 38, 39 has predicted. In an article from just this last July, this last summer, the three countries condemn Israel for carrying out airstrikes in Syria. Like, how can you do that, Israel? We've been seeing that on the news. And I'm like, well, it's not, what, is Syria innocent here? They're, they're doing stuff, you know. Russia doesn't like it because they have their bases in there. Iran doesn't like it because they're feeding them stuff. And they have uh, military things in Syria, too. Well, the three nations, Turkey, Russia, Iran, they made this statement. We condemn Israel's continuous military attacks in Syria, which violate international law, international humanitarian law, the sovereignty of Syria, and neighboring countries. There's a, In Israel, there's this place called the Began Sadat Center for Strategic Studies. It's a think tank on policy in the Middle East and Israel. And they said this in an article, a recent article. They said, Iran, Turkey, and Russia are building a new model of bilateral ties. Unshackled by formal alliance, this, the trio is showing it can work together to limit Western influence while avoiding an over-reliance on one another. 
the mixture of correlating and contradictory interests which characterizes the new Eurasianist model of bilateral relations is a product of, glo- of, of the changing global order. Things are changing. The world is changing. And, and, and countries are aligning to what prophecy tells us what's going to happen. And that's why I say it's soon. I say it's really soon. Now, let me say, God could stay his hand. He could put his hand out and say, no, not, not just yet. Maybe God will give us a few more years or another 10 years. That, that's God's grace, you know. I think we've been in, the, in a time of God's grace and mercy because he wants to save more people. So he could stay his hand, maybe give us a few more years, but things are changing fast. And so I believe the rapture can happen at any moment. And then the tribulation comes. We're, the church is taken our way. We're not under the wrath. Then the tribulation time where God's judgment falls, his wrath falls upon the earth, uh, all the way into his final outpouring where we were talked about just last Sunday, and we're going to see this Sunday, the bowls. We're right here, you guys. So I think this passage is appropriate for us tonight. We have to understand what's going on here, right? We, we Don't be uninformed, Jesus is saying. Don't be unaware. Don't, don't be unprepared tonight, right now. Give your life to Christ if you haven't already. Live for Christ more if you've been playing the game or we're wandering here. If you're if you're with Christ, let's get more on fire for Jesus. Because time is short and the rapture can happen at any moment. The tribulation will come in. And we gotta be prepared when the kingdom really comes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you love us, Lord, and you care so much for us, Jesus. That like how you sent Noah to warn the world, God, these words tonight are echoing in our hearts. Thank you, God, that you desire no one would perish, but that all would come to Jesus and have eternal life. And Father, we pray for our loved ones who don't know you, God who have rejected you or resist you. And God, we, 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 we pray fervently for them because we know time is short. And God, help us to live rightly before you, God. Help us to not be uninformed or unaware or unprepared, but our life tonight would be made right with you and that we would commit all to you, and that we would even do more in loving you. Lord, we don't want the things of this world, but we want you. God, we need you so much. And we call out, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come and be with us tonight. Come and fill us with your spirit. Come 
and take us home in the rapture. It could be, could be any moment. When I hear that, Lord, I'm filled with joy and excitement. I'm ready, Lord. But God, if in your grace it's not right now, then tomorrow, Lord, I wake up and I want to live for you. And I want to do what you want, your will, not what I want. And Lord, I want to lay down my pride and I want to lay down those things that maybe annoy me or uh, that, that aren't as important as people being loved and knowing you. Lord, I want to lay myself aside and not live for myself or my wants and needs. But God, I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for you. So tonight as we close, we call out to you, God. As we sing this song tonight, our last song, we ask that you would hear our hearts. And, and God, that you would refresh us and fill us with your spirit. As we cast aside our 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 selfishness and sin as we humble ourselves and cast our pride aside, as we, God, confess our sins and find forgiveness. Lord, let us leave here stronger, refreshed. Let us leave here in your power of your spirit, God. For soon, very soon, you're coming. Oh, Lord, I love you. We all love you, God. We long for you right now, Jesus. May your presence just fill our hearts, God, to overflowing right now. Thank you for being here. Heal us, God. Touch us. Be near us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.